Hello and welcome to the Psychic Stories podcast, encouraging conversations about mental health. Today I'm speaking to Flo Sharman. Flo is a mental health campaigner, website content creator and an ambassador for MQ Mental Health, a UK charity that champions and funds world-class research to transform the lives of everyone affected by a mental health condition. Hello Flo, how are you? I'm very well, Matt. Thank you. I'm delighted to be on Psychic um, Podcast today. Well, we're, we are delighted to have you. And I think, I think the, the, the goal of today, as we've chatted previously, is to have an open and honest conversation about your mental health journey to get some insight into the tools and techniques that helps you and might be accessible to other people. And by discussing your journey, we hope that we normalise these conversations about mental health, as often people are not alone in these experiences. Does that sound good to you? Sounds great to me. Awesome. Well, Flo, we'd love to hear more about your mental health journey. So I'm going to start from the very beginning. Um, I think it's really important to get kind of the whole whole view of my whole journey. And I always say that my mental health journey is a journey and I now know it's a lifelong mental health journey. Mm. So it all started for me when I was just eight years old. Mm which is a very young age and a really important age in someone's childhood. It's and so young. Yeah, it is really young. And when it happened, I didn't have any understanding of what mental health was. I had no idea what mental illness meant. Um, and I didn't really know what was happening to me. Mm. And mine was a very, as everybody's mental health story is, it's completely unique to them. Yeah. And mine actually started um, through physical symptoms instead of just mental illness symptoms. Mm. So I basically was a happy, lucky young little girl. I am very privileged from a very privileged background, had a wonderful upbringing and loving parents and had great home life and loved school and things were, you know, looking pretty good really. Mm. And then one evening, my life completely changed in a complete flash. Mm. Um, and I remember the evening so vividly, like it was yesterday which is crazy really, but it's unfortunately you remember the good memories, but you yeah. also remember the bad memories as well. Yeah. yeah, true. And that evening I went from basically being this happy-go-lucky little girl who had not a care in the world, everything to look forward to in her childhood. And then I turned into a completely housebound eight-year-old girl, terrified of absolutely everything, not wanting to live. And basically what happened was I went to bed just like normal, nothing different, nothing had changed. And I woke up in the middle of the night, not being able to talk. I was hallucinating. I was blind. I was paralyzed. It was terrifying. That, that uh, must have been terrifying, especially for when you're eight and you've got no idea how to comprehend these things. Exactly. I had no idea what was going on. All I remember was sitting on our stairs and mummy was sitting on the stairs with me and she was mm. pointing at her and she wanted me to say, mummy, mummy. And I, all I kept saying was heart, heart. And then I kept thinking, what is going on? I am not in my house. I thought I was at school. So I was hallucinating really badly. And also my speech was going, um, my lip was dropping. It was terrifying. Yeah. 
and obviously the ambulance was called and I was rushed into hospital and they thought at the time that it was a bleed on the brain or a brain infection and I had so many tests I remember being in the any and in one of the side rooms and all these doctors and consultants and nurses surrounding me doing all these different tests and I'm thinking what on earth is going on I'm terrified here and at this time I couldn't talk I had no memory of where I was um and basically they couldn't find anything wrong mm. and they I remember them saying to my mother that it was a freak-like attack and would never happen again and that unfortunately wasn't the case um and, and I that's, that's terrifying for your mum and parents right yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I mean, my mother is amazing and she is a person that has kept me going, really. Yeah. And I know how lucky I am to have a mother like her because mm. without her, I wouldn't be here today. You know, she and um, I'll talk about this more later, but she basically has saved my life and she fought for me not to be sectioned. And I can never be more grateful for her, what she has done. And I am very proud to call her my mum. But yeah, she she was terrifying. And she's, you know, she's been through an awful lot with having a daughter that was going through, you know, that terrifying ordeal. Um, and we, I stayed in overnight. And then I was discharged as if nothing had happened. That, that event had never happened. I was absolutely fine. But that wasn't the case. It was about a four week period that I was literally just spiraling out of control and I was just free falling into this mental health um, downward spiral. And basically my world was completely crumbling. Mm. And, and was I that, kept... was, sorry to interrupt, well, was that as a consequence of the, of the trauma that you'd faced in that particular night or was that something that had happened that that was going on there was a process going on in, in your in your in your brain that was causing you to spiral no so basically that we still to this day don't really know why those physical symptoms happened on that particular night yeah. but what we do know is that it all stemmed from having life-saving surgery as a young baby mm. Um, so my mental health, those physical symptoms were actually a mental breakdown, but shown in mental uh, physical symptoms. Mm. So it was basically just everything was getting worse. And I was still getting those physical symptoms as well as my mm. mental health spiraling out of control. So I was getting blind, paralyzation, hallucinations nearly every other day. Um, rushing in and out of hospital oh, um, so again yeah it, it was very scary and I think what I want to point out is I still get those symptoms to this day hmm. and you know I know that I will always have them now and I will now know I will always have my mental illnesses but it's something I live with and it's something that I have to deal with hmm. but even to this day it's terrifying but going back to when it all started, I um, was having all these attacks. And basically at the time, my parents thought um, that it was lack of sleep because I was going to this lovely village school that I was at. It was actually an hour from our house. Mm. So they decided to move schools um, to a, a school much closer to our house. Um, 
but unfortunately that wasn't the best decision. Mm. Um, I was within four weeks of being at that school, I was excluded um, because of my mental health issues. Mm. And at this time, I was being transferred through to CAMS um, to try and get a diagnosis of what was going and why I was spiraling out of control. Um, and to ju- just quicker, on the school, was the exclusions due to a complete change in behaviour from your perspective? So the reason, and this is the thing that drives me to be a campaigner and why in, I want to share my story, because no child should lose their childhood because of their mental health and I will never forget the day my mum was called into the headmistress office and she said right Flo has got to go she can't come back to school she's got mental health problems and we don't want her at the school um, and she is scaring the other children with her mental health problems. Oh, that's so sad for you as well right? um, as a scared she- girl just just wanted to go to school. Exactly. And I love school. You know, I always wanted to be by the teacher and do really well in my class. And I love my friends and playtime and everything. Mm. And to be told that when your world is literally crumbling, you're scared of everything, you're not wanting to live. And then to be taken basically away your childhood Mm. and being told by the school, you can't come to school because you're mental illness is scaring the other children it's horrible and even to this day it upsets me now because you know unfortunately those teachers didn't have the understanding of what mental health was mm-hmm. and I think if they'd had the support and understanding I would have been able to stay at that school and wouldn't have lost my childhood but I can't mm-hmm. turn back the clock on that and you've mentioned you've mentioned a couple of times. So 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 for you as 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 a little girl, kind of going to school. You know, school for, for a lot of us at that age is our life, it's where our friends are, it's where we have the most fun. And you've mentioned a couple of times that kind of not wanting to live. Um, were, were, were those feelings going through your mind at that such an early age? Yes. Yeah, so I think it hits the point about eight and a half that I've been excluded from my school. I was completely housebound and was actually housebound for eighteen months. And I was in a really bad way. And I just thought, actually, you know, my family would be so much better off without me. I can't go to school because of my mental illness. And at the time, I thought having mental illnesses was weird. I was a freak. I wasn't normal, Um, which is totally not the case at all. But I thought that because of the stigma that surrounds mental health. Mm. And that was really why I didn't want to live. And I thought, everyone's better off without me and those thoughts continued from the ages of eight and a half to 14 and even to this day I still get those suicidal thoughts but yeah the main reason why I didn't want to live is because I didn't want to burden my parents anymore and not have a childhood basically I thought it was better not being here than not having a childhood and that and those and those suicidal thoughts are you know hugely all the thoughts of not wanting to be here are extremely complicated for when you're an adult and to try and process those and you need so much support like were you able to kind of get that support and and over the time now like you said now the the sort of suicidal thoughts still there has it changed in the fact that the thoughts are still there but any thoughts around action has not and and you're more confident in your, your ability to cope Yeah, I mean, in the early days, basically, I would get those thoughts and I would try and get, 
you know, a knife out of the kitchen cupboard and sit in my bedroom with it. Um, but I would, my mum has been amazing and she has always allowed me to open up to her and I have the strength to be able to open up to her. Mm. Um, and there were times when I really didn't want to, but I knew it was a safe space for me to open up and know that actually, no, come on flow, I need to live. And actually what kept me going and kept me wanting to live was that I had the most amazing pony and he was the only thing that kept me alive basically because mm. I knew I've got to stay here because that pony, I've got to look after that pony. Yeah. Um, and now, I still get those thoughts, but I know how to deal with them. And I know how to, I know the triggers of why I get them. And I know how to put in place, right, this is going to trigger it. So I need to get my coping mechanisms. I need to talk about it, open up and then let it go. So I'm so much better of spotting the signs earlier, understanding it more, thinking why am I getting those thoughts so I can process it much quicker, much easier now than when it first started. Yeah, and I, I suppose on those those kind of coping mechanisms and the, the way that you manage those, those are kind of techniques that you've been able to practice and hone over a, over a long period of time. And you know, I, I assume that going through that, you know, uh, you know, over the last almost you know to twenty years, is how do you, you know. Um, have those techniques changed um are you able to process every thought that goes through or you are you st- st- are there some thoughts that are still very challenging so i have not only suicidal thoughts and um diagnosed depression i have four mental illnesses so ptsd ocd and panic attacks mm. and suicidal thoughts so with all those combined there are so many different triggers and thoughts yeah. going through um, and often when a ptsd flare-up happens then it will trigger a panic attack flare-up and then it will trigger a suicidal flare-up mm. but the thoughts are still there and they're still some of them are still very strong but it is much easier to understand them and I know if I get a certain thought I know which coping mechanism is going to help me and it's definitely I wouldn't say they've changed over the years but they've Mm. definitely um changed slightly in the way of how I use them how I deal with it and Mm. I use my coping mechanism much sooner to stop it in its tracks rather than when I was younger I would use my coping mechanism when it was kind of a breaking point yeah that's, I think that's, that's, I a really, that's a really good point about like yeah i suppose in some respects you're using them in a, in in a much more kind of early stage preventative way so that it doesn't get as bad yeah totally and a lot of people you know say who i haven't seen for many years and saw me when i was in my mental breakdown and you know nearly sectioned at tier four clinic mm. i see them now and they say gosh you're so confident you're working marketing like what has changed what was the cure and I think it's really important for people to know there is no cure for mental illness Mm. you know there is no cure whatsoever for it and I haven't just got better with my mental illnesses you know they don't just go away but mine have really improved by using those coping mechanisms. And I'm not afraid to say I am on mental health medication. Mm. And the reality is I have been on mental health medication 
since I was eight and a half when I was diagnosed with those four mental illnesses. Mm. And the thing is, and it's kind of a scary thought, but I didn't really know what I'm like not on that medication. Mm. And I'm on two antidepressants and quite high doses. And I used to be really ashamed of it and be so embarrassed about taking medication for my mental health. But the reality is it's no different from taking medication for your physical health. Mm. And I take medication for my physical health as well as my mental health. So I think it's really important that we open the conversation surrounding medication for mental illness because there is nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed about. And I think, you know, it has helped me, but it's not been the main thing that's helped me. I say Mm. one part of the toolbox that helps me. And it, and it does. It's certainly in a lot of the conversations that I have on 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 this podcast, like the the topic of medication comes up, and the majority of people are saying, "Yeah, it is." When we get the right medication, it is fundamentally useful and part of that kind of holistic treatment for for mental health. And but then again, the other side is that some people's negative experiences have been when they've been on the wrong medication. And over that very long period, you've been on this medication. Have you found that there have been some adverse effects or you've perhaps been on the wrong medication that you've needed to change quite quickly because it hasn't quite gone according to how it was meant to? Yeah, I have. I remember from probably the ages nine to 12, I tried so many medications mm-hmm. um, and it really was a trial and error, really. Yeah. Um, I had to the point of one of my medications was making me so nervous and panic attacks were going through the roof and OCD was actually spiraling out of control. Mm. Um, So it took about probably I'd say three years to get on the right medication. And even now the medication I'm on now, I've been on for the last eight years or so. Um, But even now I still, you know, tweak it sometimes um and things do change but touch wood um it seems to be working and has done for quite a while now well that's awesome that's awesome to hear just on a quick point like how do you know and from for me from a kind of from a naive perspective how do you know when you're on the right one it's a really good question actually and it's quite a difficult one to answer i would say in the sound so you say but i say it's a feeling and it kind of it does take time Mm. but I always say it's like when I'm not on the medication I'm like so everything is heightened my senses are heightened everything is basically on you know huge watch and I'm paranoia about everything Mm. um on the medication I'd say it takes a little bit of that heightened senses away and it brings a little bit of a calmer more relaxed approach and feeling mm. um that's the best way to describe yeah. it but everyone's different you know how they feel on medication um will be different for everyone yeah um, and, so, and I, I suppose the opposite question then is how do you know you're on the wrong one if 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 one once you found your right one is it because you're not achieving that kind of sense of calm and 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 you know you know those kind of uh, I suppose non-manic events in terms of your emotions 
I think, you know, when you're on the wrong one, when you're getting severe side effects, either, you know, from a physical health point of view or a yeah. mental health point of view. Um, and you kind of just know, it's, again, you, I, for me anyway, you kind of feel it. If it's doing good, you know, you're feeling much better. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's taking what I say, the edge of things. Whereas yeah. if you're the wrong one, it's not taking any edge off anything. Um, yeah. And that's it. That's interesting. It's effectively like an an intuitive, subjective sense of actually I'm feeling better and your mind is telling you that, you know, whatever's happening, I'm feeling better. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that medication is like one tiny part of the jigsaw that helps me with my mental illnesses. You know, Mm. it's, it's not half of it. It's not one big piece. It's a very small part. You know, there are so many other elements of things that really helped me with my mental illnesses and have helped me the past well since my mental breakdown at eight years old so and yeah. hope will continue to help me on my lifelong mental health journey yeah well so. I mean and 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 you're what you know, from from eight you're are you kind of 20 years past that um so I'm 22 so, okay, so slightly less maybe 15 years yeah yeah 15 years yeah, so. 15, so so those tools have have kept you going for 15 years so in yeah. some respect there's no reason why they shouldn't continue for the next 50 60 70 right yeah exactly and i i hope this way and things you know i some of my things so for me fitness is a huge part of my life and it's what i call my savior yeah and when i was completely housebound for 18 months i mean i i wouldn't leave the house at all mm. i would lock my family and friends in the house i was so terrified of their safety and them leaving and the mm. only time i left my house for 18 months between the ages of eight and a half was going for a walk with my dog or doing yoga in the fields and that's mm. all i would do and it's still to this day long walks are one of my favorite things to do and i know if I'm going to spiral out of control, if I get walking, which I do twice a day, mm. I know it's going to really help my mental health. And mm. that's what's kind of kept me going and kept me fighting through the most difficult and, you know, tough times. Mm. It, you know, people say to me, how has it been? And the honest answer is it has been so difficult. Mm. It, the amount of times I wanted to give up and think, why am I doing, why am I keep fighting? And I always think, why me? Why, why did the world choose me to have four mental illnesses and two physical illnesses, which is really difficult to cope with. But I always say to myself, it's because the world has given me them because it knows I have the strength to get through them. Mm. And I do know that, that now, even through the toughest and most difficult times, I know I have the tiny little bit of fight left to keep going mm. and get through it. But walking and working out are my two main saviors um for me that really helped me and you find that because you know what you're talking about in in, what from from what i get in terms of being able to kind of fight through it is a huge amount of resilience right and where does i'll be interested to understand where from your perspective where that resilience came from is it a resilience of of okay i accept that i've got these four mental illnesses two physical illnesses but i will survive is it a primal instinct that is like i'm going to survive and therefore 
the logical step is I need to build resilience in order to do that. And I do it via X, Y, Z, or is it something that is, I don't know, something that's just very natural and very innate, um, which is perhaps, perhaps also based on survival where it's just like, no, I have made a decision. I'm not going to give up and I'm going to continue. And that is what I need. That, that is a strength that I need to carry on. I think it's a bit of both, actually. And I think it's having life-saving surgery at such a young age. I don't remember it. Mm. Um, but actually, that is what caused all my mental illnesses and all my physical illnesses. Um, but we only found that out four years ago. And I think knowing the stories from my mum of, you know, me stopping breathing on my christening day and mm. stopping breathing for eight minutes and being pronounced dead. And then my mum resuscitating me and bringing me back. And I think knowing those stories and knowing that I nearly lost my life at the age of four months old. Mm. And I have a very big scar to show for it, um, which was life-saving surgery to save my life at the age. That's what reminds me that I've nearly used all my nine lives Hmm. at a very young age and I need to keep fighting because I've got saved once before and I know that I can go through the toughest thing but still hmm. keep fighting and go through and I also think you know having an amazing mother by my side she is the strongest woman I know so I think I've got a lot of it from her as well hmm. um, and I think definitely over the last two years or so I know that I make a difference in this world and can, you know, change people's lives and inspire them and help them. And, you know, that's what keeps me fighting. And I do keep thinking, I can do this. I've got through it before. I can do it again. I know it's not going to be easy, but I do have that resilience. And I'd say I've built resilience over the years in bucket loads, really. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like it. And, and, and like you said, like, you know, sharing your story, you know, doing talks, working with MQ as an ambassador, that is, that reinforces that resilience at the same time. And the, and, and I, you know, suppose like, you know, the, the, the positive feedback that you're getting there and also the connection you're having with other people where they're saying, actually, yeah, Flo, I've been through either something similar or I've got some part, I, I can appreciate that. Then that feeling as well just reinforces that momentum. And, you know, in some respects, you know, I, I find it's funny, resilience is something we speak about a lot and it seems you know what is it is and i'm sure there's a i'm sure there's a psychological psychological definition but the subjective experience of it is something that is something like strong foundational and and but also at the same time quite dynamic where it has a momentum of some respect and you know there are periods in your life where you're going through a great time and your resilience is high and you feel like you can go on and go on and go on whereas there's other times where that that resilience sometimes feels paper thin and I'm sure with you I'm sure I'm sure there are you know that there are times where that resilience does you know is challenged definitely and I always say life is a complete roller coaster ride and you know you have high times you have low times and again with that resilience sometimes you think you've got the strongest most powerful resilience and other times you think you've got the lowest resilience but there is always a tiny bit in there mm. that you've always got um but you know life is difficult for everyone you know it, it is really tough and challenging and I think you know I've learned to use my resilience and I you know it's a skill that I'm pleased to have and it is definitely something I do have but as you say sharing my story 
it just pushes me more to keep going and fight through and to inspire others is something that really helps me and it's actually I was 18 when I decided not to be ashamed and not to be embarrassed about being a mental health sufferer it took me 10 years from the mental breakdown for me to feel that way but it actually was a real turning point in my recovery when I started to share my story because I actually thought well I can turn this really bad negative into a really good positive and share what's helped me so yeah and, and how did that how did that happen at 18 because I know we we spoke about earlier going back in the kind of in the chronology you got up to 12 in terms of like trying a lot of that medication what was it like from 12 to 18 because that's you know secondary school and that's also a very tough time and um you uh, you you mentioned at some stage that you have some very you know some difficulties your mum saved you from getting from from being institutionalized being sectioned under the mental health act um what what you know how what's that what's that experience over that period like and then what turned in your mind to change it from a negative to a positive so i was i haven't been to school since i was eight i mm. was homeschooled and did all my gcses um right okay okay and, and was that by you know by your mum or was it tutors and support? no 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 it was um tutors um through the local authority okay. i was unbelievably lucky I had the most incredible tutor who still to this day um, we're family friends with her but I between the ages of 12 to 16 were still very challenging and very difficult you know the other day actually I was clearing out some stuff as we're doing in this lockdown and um, (laughs) I found a certificate for going on the motorway for one junction and not trying to jump out of the car and that was when I was age 13 and you know it shows how bad I was but also how far I've come so you know it wasn't I'd say the real turning point was between 17 and 18 Mm. things were getting a lot better and it's going to annoy probably a lot of people for me to say this but time has been the greatest healer for me and you know it was actually the point when I was probably 12 when I stopped putting pressure on myself to get so called better and gave myself time and did it in my own way and challenged myself in my own little steps so challenges to go in the car for more than one junction Mm -hmm. to go in shops three hours before it was going to be closed because I was terrified about being locked in and I challenged myself in own little ways um and then I you know had done my GCSEs and I was doing really well with um Open Study University and I kind of just thought I'm gonna really own my mental illnesses and I'm gonna share my story and it I don't know what it was but it just something changed and something switched and yeah I just thought no I'm gonna I'm gonna really share my story and inspire others basically and I mean, that, I mean that, that's incredible, especially from if you say like you know coming from a home homeschool perspective as well. I don't know much about okay, other than I know that lots of people are doing homeschooling now, but back then <laughs> it was less. It was certainly less um, 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 le- less usual for people to be homeschooled, unless under specific circumstances, like you said. And um, I, I, I'm assuming that because of homeschooling, maybe the 
the ability to kind of make friendships and relationships was stimmied slightly because obviously you assume your interactions were less or did was there a very conscious effort to kind of keep you connected with good relationships around you with friends and family yeah, I mean I basically had no friends whatsoever and not I'm not gonna you know say I did because I didn't mm, and mm. I had no children of my own age to be friends with and I when I was excluded from my school I lost all my friends um, because they thought that I was not normal and was this weird freak person with mental illnesses and was nearly sectioned Um, so I didn't have any friends really up until probably 14, 16 I one thing I positive I take from it is that I had a lot of adult company so I've always you know being very confident in conversation with adults and mm. have learned that because basically that's all I had to talk to I didn't have anybody my own age and mm. um, really to be friends with um but I was very fortunate to have um horses and ponies so I was very lucky to have a pony club and um, so mm. I did have friends there but it took a lot of time for me to make really good friends and yeah. friends that were understanding you know they were there through the good but they were also there for the bad and now I have a very small group of friends but I know every single one of them is there through through the great times the tough times the really difficult times and will support me through everything and that's what I value so much but I didn't really have any friends to be honest in my childhood I didn't have I don't have any friends from my childhood and my only friends when I was younger were my animals, really. And that's yeah, what yeah. I loved so much. So, yeah, unfortunately, I did miss out a lot. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. But also at the same time, you're, you're I mean, you're, you're like you said, you're, you're really four or five years kind of past that. And, and speaking to you now, you know, you, you, you certainly come across as a very, you know, very confident, eloquent, articulate individual, um, not necessarily someone who is, you know, certainly, you know, shy or reclusive in any way. And is that something that's changed? And I, I'm, I know you mentioned before when we were when, when we were getting set up, you mentioned, you know, your, 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 your boyfriend was helping you get, get on. When it comes to forming those kind of romantic relationships as well, was that something that was, that was, you know, that, that, you know, that you, you, in the last five years, it seemed to have gone very quickly you know what what do you've described to us in terms of like before 18 was a very different life to what perhaps you have now and that's happened and, and occurred very quickly it really has and you know I am very lucky my boyfriend is so supportive and you know it has yeah I had some very bad and not very nice relationships and some horrible things happened to me um over the last five years kind of in a romantic way Mm. um and I find it very difficult and I was very scared to open up to anybody that I was going to form a relationship Mm. of having mental illness because it's just something there's that stigma that still surrounds it and I was just so embarrassed still really to open up and say yeah I do have mental illnesses Mm. you know I do a campaign I share my story but Mm. when I was getting into a new relationship I'd be so I'd hide behind it and I wouldn't say that I was a mental health campaigner or an ambassador and what I've done because I thought oh my gosh what are they gonna think but it's actually been the last two years that I actually thought being me is the best thing I can be and if the right people needs to be in my life they're going to love me for everything, mental illness and all. And I think that's what everybody should learn. You know, being a true self with everything is what you need. You don't need anybody in your life who doesn't want to understand what you've been through. 
and it's about the it's, it's the quality not the quantity of your of those relationships isn't it definitely and, you know I'd okay. much rather have a small group of friends who are there through for me at all times rather than a massive group that I have to you know there's only a few that will support me through the bad times yeah. um you know 100% agree on that and I mean, is it something that is it's a question which has kind of emerged over the last kind of few episodes I've been talking about so we you know the reason we're having this conversation is about is to ch- is to have open and honest conversation to kind of challenge that the stigma around mental health and and you know the stigma around mental health is talked about a lot at the moment and has done for the last five years and it's brilliant that loads you know more people like yourself are talking about it but at the same time like you said like in certain situations people still hide behind it and I'm certainly getting a sense that whilst there's a lot more talk about it I can't quite work out whether if whilst the awareness is there I'm still seeing I'm still thinking that there seems to be no necessary decline in the statistics, um, which goes to say that actually, whilst open, having open and honest conversations is very important, there's still a lot of work to be done to kind of challenge the underlying kind of mental health crisis that is permeating society. And, you know, if you if you look at the stats and you think about how are people um, um, how, you know, how these mental health issues and illnesses emerge as a consequence of maybe their kind of genes, environment, society, how that happens is something that still needs to be addressed. And I'd be interested to hear your your kind of kind of thoughts and comments as a campaigner on that, because like you said, you've had a, a situation where both you're fighting the stigma, but also you would hide behind that stigma at the same time. I'm so pleased you asked that question because you know talking is great and it's amazing that over the last as you say five years conversations have got better and you know we are being more open about mental health but there is still so much work that needs to happen and I always say you know actions speak louder than words you know we need to get mental illness treated exactly the same as physical illness and that's not just going to happen by talking about it you know mm-hmm. change needs to happen um different things you put in place in you know society in schools in hospitals you know it needs to be treated equally mm-hmm. and i believe that the only way that mental health crisis is going to get better is if it's treated equally mm. and there's still so much work that needs to happen and mm. um, running that you know for me because my mental breakdown happened when i was so young i believe it is vital and so important that you know teachers and support staff in schools get training and understanding of mental illnesses so they can stop the signs so that people's mental illnesses aren't going to go down and down and down and decline and then they get to their teenage years or 18 and stuff and completely crumble they've got a plan in place and can understand why they're what they're going through and their mental health and stuff and i think you know we've come so far in the last five years surrounding mental health but actions need to happen you know we need to get so much more change happening I mean, talking is great and talking is what really helps me and helps me in my recovery. But mm. we need to get proper things in place to stop those mental health crises. Because as you say, you know, 
it's still happening and it's getting worse and worse and worse really and the conversation has to happen but it's still defining in mental health crisis yeah and it's it seems to me and i think this is this is part of the reason why we why we why we why we set up and created sidekick because our experiences as a as a community uh, and those who you know within within our community have struggled with their mental health has been the fact that there is a lot of support and services out there. There definitely is. Um, um, access to those support can be often difficult. There might be barriers to that, maybe monetary if you're going privately or you can't go privately, you go, you know, you're going on the National Health Service or wherever you are in the world, the relevant services, but there's an enormous gap or waiting time and therefore how are you going to help this? And I think what you've really, really shown, the conclusion that we've come to is that actually there's an enormous amount of simple and free things that you can do as an individual as long as you take onus and you prioritize it, that you can do to build your resilience and prevent some of the, you know, some of the worst things happening. And of course, when those worst things do happen, then you are able to get specialist support um, through specialist interventions, uh, which are available, thankfully, in the UK. Um, but it's something that, you know, there seems to be a lot of you know a need for like you said not just conversation but habit building about making sure that every day you're doing the things that you like to do or love to do that fire up your brain to make you passionate to um to exercise so that you've got um you know you've got a goal you've got a purpose you've got physically you've got endorphins flowing through your body um from your perspective like those tools and tips like what, what's helped you because like you said you've been through a huge amount so I'm thinking that understanding your daily habits could be really insightful to other people listening to say okay well, if this is what flow does this is what I could do and you know I think you know doing this will allow me to build some sense of of, of resilience when the bad times do come so yeah I always say I have my mental health toolbox and there are three key things in there and these three key things I probably do or do do on a daily basis and I even know if I haven't done these things for two or three days my mental health starts to spiral so I know how important these things are for me and what the things that I call my mental health saviors and will get me through even the bleakest, darkest, toughest times mm. and know when the light will start to shine again. Those three things are the outdoors, walking, hiking, running, being with my horses and my dogs, um, fitness, whether that's Pilates, hip training, strength training. For me, I love doing crazy fitness challenges mm. and having that goal and having you know, doing those challenges I did uh, during lockdown, I did the three peaks challenge um, all in one go on a treadmill without stopping in one day. Um, wow. Yeah, and I was delighted with the time I got. Mm. Um, and that those challenges, you need mental strength and physical strength. So that's what pushes me to train for things like that. And thirdly, talking. I share my emotions with those around me. I feel my emotions and this is something that I think I've really learned in the last year or two. It's really important to cry. It's really important to feel angry. It's really important to feel every emotion you're feeling because if you bottle them up, it's gonna get so much worse. And I know in the early days, I used to hide behind the biggest smile 
and bottled all my emotions up. And people used to say, oh, Flo in picture, she looked like the happiest as a girl, whereas inside I was crumbling. Mm. So now I know that if I'm feeling down, I feel those emotions, I do my fitness and I do my walks, I write down about what's going on in my head, and then I try, most of the time it works, those thoughts go away because I have felt the emotion, I've done the things that help me, and you know, I keep going basically. Mm. And I think that's really important. And definitely, you know, I only two days ago, I was sobbing my heart out because I had a really bad um, attack and of my hemiplegic migraines and I was having tremors. I can see I was paralyzed. And I just thought, why me? Why am I doing this? But I cried. I spoke about it. And the next day I was so much better. So I really encourage people to feel their emotions and exercise. Getting those endorphins are the best thing ever. And and I think like from from your perspective, I suppose the question maybe for someone listening might be, okay, how do I feel those emotions? Because, you know, obviously you do feel things day in, day out, but sometimes people who necessarily maybe it's the first time that they're starting to think about kind of their own mental health and kind of the kind of internal awareness is how do you start to, you know, let it out and cry and, and, and be angry in a way that is, you know, I suppose, you know, kind of, I suppose w- w- within a safe space and a non-judgmental space at the same time, because that could be very difficult for people being so vulnerable. Definitely. I think I'm very lucky to have, um, a very supportive family and partner. Um, and I do have a safe space, um, at home and I will often do it on my own. Um, and I think it's really important when you need to let out your emotions and feel those emotions, don't hold it in and don't bottle it up, but also it's really important to do it in that safe space. Um, and I always say, you know, I always, I have this um, throw that I love um, and I put calming music on um, or music really helps me to let out those emotions. So yeah. they're my top tips, safe space, cozy environment and music to yeah. let emotions out and actually i think that's that's very comfort very comforting you know literally comforting but also at the same time you know emotionally comforting as well to just think that actually okay it doesn't necessarily need to involve another person it can be you can really just you know as long as you've got a you know a space doesn't matter how big it is where it is just you and you're you feel safe cozy like you said and are able to kind of you know surround yourself with good music um, um and comforting things then that is a, that is a great start yeah and i you know i will admit i've cried on walks on my own i've got angry and you know i luckily live in the beautiful Cotswolds and in the countryside so you know i'm often in empty fields on my own but if i feel angry and want to scream i scream you know and it's just being able to do it and let out it's taken a few years to get to that point but if what i will say and if you're feeling really sad or suicidal or feeling very depressed, I would say feel your emotions and let it out, but do talk about it with someone who you know isn't going to judge and is non-judgmental and you feel safe with. Mm. It's really 
yeah and, and i think if if that if if you if people are listening who, who are struggling with that and they're saying okay well who can i speak to? i haven't got anyone to speak to there are a lot of services out there and i i think the one in in terms of suicidal thoughts you know i, I myself used to be a samaritans volunteer so you know the samaritans is a is a, is a good shout um uh, papyrus is another one i'm sure flo you you've uh, you've you, you you know some services as well but there are a lot of services out there which really can support with these very difficult feelings and especially during this time in lockdown you know as well because so I, I assume that you know whilst being in the in the countryside in lockdown is i suppose is uh, it enables you to to continue on your kind of your your day-to-day -day life um it is very still very difficult for a lot of people right it is so difficult you know i was thinking i was sitting on the sofa last night and i thought i've not hugged my dad since march last year mm. and um my father lives in london um so we're in the cotswolds so it is really difficult and you know everybody is dealing with lockdown in their own way and it is tough for every single person and no matter what situation you are in i'm very lucky and very privileged but i'm still finding it tough mm. it is not easy and we've all got to be kind to everybody we're all dealing with it in our own way and we've got to be kind and non-judgmental through you know lockdown is tough but so are you well, I think that is an excellent uh, moral uh, of the story um, um, to, 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 to perhaps kind of close on. And Flo, thank you so much for not only a fascinating and insightful chat, but, you know, just being so open and honest and, you know, you know, just sharing some of the perhaps the most terrifying times of your life. What, what I find amazing is, is that it's almost like I'm, 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 I'm speaking to a you know a person who is reflecting on another person it's it seems so far removed from the person that i'm speaking to right now that some of the things you've gone through and it can only give you you know enormous um uh, you know enormous um uh, support in your continued journey thank you so much and i'm delighted to have been able to share my story with a sidekick and hopefully inspire others and know that you're not alone and you can get through anything the world throws you yeah, I, well, I think I think that's perfectly summed up. And and thank you to everyone who is listening. You can subscribe to us on most major podcast platforms, YouTube, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search for Sidekick Community or Sidekick Stories and we'll pop up. And please do give us a rating if you like the show. And, and do check out our free Sidekick app for iPhone and iPad. Uh, it's a collection of interactive exercises, tools and tips to help you boost your mental well-being. The app enables you to build a personalised well-being toolkit to help you deal with life's ups and downs. Uh, just go to our website, www.sidekick.com uk and click the download now button in the header to take you to the app store flow thank you so much again thank you mm -hmm.